0: Hello and welcome to the next edition of this Harrington Star podcast, whether it's Fintech Focus TV you're listening to or our diversity and inclusion specials. We hope you're enjoying the shows and please do subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Fintech Focus TV. We love to celebrate the fintech businesses that have big ideas and those that are making waves in their fields. Today, I'm joined by the CTO of Hub, Panos Savas. Acony Hub are an open banking innovator, providing solutions to SMEs and retail for better financial planning. Specifically, Acony's platform helps businesses with cash management and export planning by leveraging a wide range of data resources, accounting integrations and open banking. And Panos is here today to share his story. So Panos, welcome. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, it would be fantastic if you could open up by telling us about Oconee Hub, the mission, the company purpose. Give us a real feel for what you guys do.
1: Sure. So Oconee is about four years old now. And really, it's the, the inspiration came from it out of a problem my co-founder had. So um, she was a CFO in a, uh, a, a, an insurance broker, which is sort of a definition of an SME. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but an SME with relatively high... Uh, cash. So, at any given month, they had between 50 and 100 million that was earning no return at all. Wow! <laughs> and uh, they had no tools to manage it with. Yep. And uh, it, in in any normal business, if you have a 100 million pound asset or 50 million pound asset that's not earning a return, it's uh, questions get asked. Why, why is that building not earning any rent? Why is um, this asset not, not giving a return? So she she felt that was crazy. She went out and looked into the market. She thought that there would be some kind of treasury system that she could use. But the treasury system is really good for companies with revenues of 100 million plus, the multinationals. So the SMEs are really underserved in terms of tools. Mm. And also the banks don't really service that market well at all. It's, 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 it's sort of a dead zone between retail and um, and, and the big corporates. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: she went out and then said, well, I'll do this myself. She got someone from a team to go out and research different banks in the UK that could offer better rates of return after uh, quite a bit of risk because it's quite hard to make that decision uh, if you don't have the right tools and the right data. Um, they found a couple of banks, they opened those accounts, placed the cash with them, um, but they had to go through internal board approval. They had to go through um, uh, the diligence and onboarding with the banks themselves. The, the whole KYCNML. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it, the whole process took about six months. Uh, at Wish Boys, there we were a fast-moving, growing business. They had more cash. One of the banks had dropped their rates because they had enough. They had enough deposits. Mm and the the other one had uh, had some adverse media related to it, so they, they didn't want to place any more money with them. So they were facing the idea of doing that all over again, and it was just too much work mm. to do what they needed to do. So after she left that role, um, and I was just finishing uh, a course at London Business School, we kind of met, and we started talking about that. And my background is very much on the engineering side, mm-hmm. not so much on mainly in fi- finance and banking, but obviously on the product and engineering side. Mm. And we kind of met and we started talking. We we're both keen to do something a bit different than our corporate lives before. Yeah. And we took the plunge to start a Kony together, which is effectively a marketplace of deposit providers overlaid with a range of tools and our algorithm and our use of data to help business make really fast decisions. Mm. So business can onboard with us digitally online, uh, like you do with any mobile banking app. You go through our website and we take you through a digital onboarding process, and we can onboard you within a day all the KYC and AML compliance and all the banks that work with us, there are about 20 of them now, place reliance on us for that. Great. So then at a click of a button you can place funds same day with any number of mm. banks and if next month interest rates from another bank are better you can switch over. So it gives you, we remove all the friction and pain from placing mm. for, for that. For I like the sound of, of that,
0: Rem- remove all the friction and pain, great. Yeah. If we could do that in all aspects of life that would be brilliant. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, absolutely, I think that's the, that's the key thing and, and financial services have a history of being quite opaque and mm-hmm. quite full of friction, and our, if you want our mission is to remove that. And while we started from SME, is uh, we're now expanding more into retail offerings of our various white label partners mm-hmm. in, in, in various industries.
0: Wow, so you do a lot of exciting things at the minute. Um, so tell us a little bit about your role now and what it entails, because I can imagine you're doing quite a bit.
1: Yes. Well, the CTO role is one is, is, a, is a role that really can't easily be defined. Mm. Uh, if you, you can be a CTO in a big multinational, or you can be a CTO in a startup like myself. Mm. And even within each of those, it varies dramatically depending what uh, the business is. Um, I am obviously uh, ultimately in charge of all product and technology related things within a company. Um, I deal with all the recruitment of technical and product staff, and that covers everything from UX to developers to analysts. Mm. Um, I deal with all the um, uh, technological planning, the the strategy around that, um, whether it's our cloud strategy or our data strategy, what partners we integrate with. Um, So there's a lot of strategic elements to my role, but as a startup CTO, it's also a very busy hands-on role. So quite often I'll be debugging uh, problems with the code and that was a main attraction to me I was I was coming I got to a point in my career where I was managing team leaders of teams uh, so I was managing large teams but not really interfacing directly with technology at all it was very high level mm-hmm. and I was very keen to have a role that combined both of those things so mid-sized companies startups growing firms are a perfect breeding grounds for CTOs that or people who want to get into a CTO role where they can mm-hmm. um, uh, keep both sides of that equation running. So mm-hmm. I get involved with nitty-gritty decisions about whether or not what the UX should look like, um, or I help uh, actually write features and still get to code on a semi-regular basis. And at the same time, I get to get involved in all the strategy decisions and drive mm-hmm. those for the business. And of course, as a founder in a company, by Role Goes Beyond just a CTO and I deal with all yeah, the other things as well. So I have, it's a very busy role to yeah. be a CTO in a growing startup.
0: But a nice equilibrium of being able to have that overall view of the direction of the business, that day-to-day sort of strategy, as well as saying that you debug some code. I <laughs> yeah. love it. I get good. all
1: of it. And that's I think that's the key uh, point of my role. And any mm-hmm. CTO in any size of organization, that's probably the common point, is that you really have to understand the business and what they're yeah. trying to achieve. So, um, where are we going with the kind, where are we gonna be in two years, where are we gonna be in five years, and trying to make good decisions now and yeah. and, and also make sure that we prioritise things in the right way so that we get the the, the, the right things built for the stage yeah. where we're at. Yeah. So being able to be that bridge between the business development and the operations with mm. the technology is is, is always gonna be kind of key almost mm. in any any CTO role. Mm. And that's definitely still true in startups
0: yeah yeah so tell us a bit about your previous self so you began as a developer and I know the journey was a bit of a winding road so I'd love you to share that with everybody
1: yeah uh, absolutely I think uh, developers career paths are (coughs) never the same Um, you know you there's no typical story or I you know with a lot of careers and it's still true with developers as well you just you go to university you do agree you go and work for Uh, some enterprise you get some training you do that for a few years or a couple of years you move on there is that role of things to do as well i I didn't uh, do exactly i did sort of that i but i started coding at a very young age Mm -hmm. um uh, i grew up in an expat community in the middle east and you know i was surrounded by industrial engineers and doctors and lawyers and things because that's the kind of expat skill force that i was associated Mm -hmm. with and i had no interest in being any of those things um, my parents were quite forward-thinking, and quite at an early age they said, well, let's get some computer in the age. So I think I got my first computer when I was six or seven, and I started coding wow, at that age. Amazing. And I never thought it would be a career. It was just a hobby for me. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And then when I moved to the UK when I was 18, um, I wanted to study biology.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I went off and did science A-levels. Um, I was Actually, I was 17. I went off and did science A-levels biology and chemistry and things like that wow. um, and I wanted to go study marine biology at Bangor University in, in, in West Wales because uh, I, I had this vision of being uh, an ecologist um, however I kind of at the same time was doing a lot of math and a lot of computer yeah. science as well as uh, during my college time and when it came to apply for universities I actually decided I'm gonna apply to do a computer science degree which I did and um, I haven't sort of looked back since so I kind of found my way there, although I was never thinking of it as a career. Yeah, interesting. And during my course at university, um, I really gravitated towards robotics, AI, those sorts of subjects, distributed systems, all of which have become very useful to me now, 10, 15 years later, mm. because those are kind of, they were, they were sort of nascent, sort of early, early stage uh, things then. Um, so I joined a consultancy straight out of university. I went and worked for, for a company called Logica CMG, which I think has since changed hands and they called something else. Mm. Uh, I, I can't remember what it is, I think CM something. Mm. Um, and uh, I worked there in a lot of uh, projects to do with energy. Um, so not financial services at all. And then onto defense projects. So I had to go and get my security clearance and sort mm. of work on defense projects and, and battle space. Battle theater sort of software, um, which was all very fun, and you know working with the MOD is, is always a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, the testing the software with the squadies and the the operational uh, no, troops and things have been like a lot that. Of
0: fun.
1: Um, but then I got uh, headhunted by a company that works in um, uh, banking and financial services, mm-hmm. and I joined them as a senior development uh, member of the development team. Um, but it was uh, within about six months, I was running uh, a couple of teams there. And within a couple of years, I was uh, head of their R&D team, um, which is, it was a bit like a mini CTO role. I was reporting mm. to uh, the um, head of development who reported to the CTO, who was more of a board CTO in that particular yeah. company. So as a mini CTO role, I was you know, uh, facilitating the team, uh, understanding and helping make good technology decisions, and still still hands on a lot of the time, and also growing our offshore team as well. Um, uh, and then I, I saw, and that was really on the retail banking side. And I stayed in that area for a while, but as I got more senior and I got more and more removed from the coalface face of coding, and then I moved into trading platforms and investment banking. I found myself, as I say, chairing a lot of meetings and doing very little work, mm. um, and I got to a point in my career where I was not really happy with where I was. The income was great, the lifestyle was great, the work was easy. I got to a point where you know, I'd turn up to work at sort of 9.30, leave at 5, and a very, very, fairly good return for my time, but had no, um, no real enjoyment or satisfaction with what I was mm. doing. Um, and that was, that was a problem for me. So at that point, I, I, I remember driving home on my motor because I, I commute on my motorbike, so I was driving home on my motorbike one evening Thinking, um, what have I really done to earn my paycheck this this week? I thought, yeah, you've chaired a couple of meetings; they were they were they was maybe useful, and um, you made three slides for a board presentation, one of which got cut. So, <laughs> two, two PowerPoint slides and a couple of meetings was really all I could claim that was productive work. And that project that i had been running or helping run, because it was actually a very big program across across a, a big investment bank. Um, had burned through uh, something north of two or three million pounds and really would deliver documentation and processes at the end of it and no technology. So it was a very sterile, uninspiring environment for me. Mm. So the next morning I, I quit my job. I had, wow. no, I had no plans but I saw sort of Wendy and I handed <laughs> in my decisive. notice. And then I went home and I told my wife that I quit my job and she had a bit of uh-huh. a mini freak out. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. Uh, but I knew I had to do it that way because she'd talk me out of it otherwise, but yeah. actually she'd been she's, she was very supportive in the end um, And I, around that time I started doing I knew I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial mm. I would just finished actually my MBA at London Business School Which I'd gone into thinking I'd pursue a more corporate career path and I came out of thinking no, career, a career Corporate career path is not for me. What's for me is something much more entrepreneurial yeah. um, and through that network I met my co-founder Felicia and we started talking. I think we, we were on and off in contact for six or nine months while I was doing other sort of interim CTO roles in various startups, um, which were all great fun, uh, but in a range of industries. So, and what I realized at that period is that my background is financial services, um, while I can be a CTO in a fashion tech business. Mm. It's probably not where I'm delivering the most value. Yeah. So, me and Felicia have been talking about this idea and eventually we decided to go into it and start building a Coney as a business, which I felt was something that my previous experience had prepared me for. I've been it, I've worked in regulated ev- mm. environments, with FCA regulated environments, i would worked in financial services, I've worked both across retail and investment banking, So uh, and of course I had the technology background, so it was a perfect opportunity for me to get in there and also engineer the role that I want. So because I was a founder, we started the business. It meant that I could be the kind of CTO I want to be, which is still a hands-on CTO. Mm
0: yeah this sort of blend of the different areas that you really enjoy and you're inspired by and you feel that exactly. you're, you're you're challenged day in day out um that's a great it's a great story to listen listen to your journey along the way because i think a lot of people ask when when, when people get to sea level members of staff was this always your ambition and i think the way that you've just explained that is actually you know you you're passionate about coding for sure but it wasn't actually your ambition to get into into that as your career um, but you did make the choice to do it, and then, as you've gone through through the years you've definitely been able to understand where your where your skill set lies and where you feel you can add most value and I think that's really' that's really helpful for people listening to to think about themselves in their careers and mm-hmm. and are they adding value and are they getting challenged and do they feel inspired and do they feel tested every week because you're right however, anyone everyone goes home on Friday whenever they listen to this or watch this yeah. on Friday they go home they should ask themselves what have I achieved this week and if they feel like actually I've achieved a lot and I'm really proud of what I have then they're probably on to a good thing.
1: I think that's key. Uh, satisfaction is far more important than monetary reward. Now, Everybody wants to earn a, a decent standard of living and everyone needs to figure out for themselves what they want out of their career Yeah, um, I've come across exceptional developers and really high achievers who mm. Are interested in get to a certain point and then it's work-life balance is the most important thing for them yeah. and that's absolutely fine there's roles and career paths there for them um, and then there's people who are not so much driven by what they take home every month but about what if they're really bought into mm. what they deliver and 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 everything in between and I think the industry particularly here in London but also in the UK and, and, and globally for developers does allow you to make those choices mm. um, for me it was very clear that when I left my, my job in investment banking, I was not going to earn even a third in the initial period of what I was going to be earn what I had been earning. Uh, but it was an easy decision for me; I had no issue with it. Um, but it does you, do, you need to at some point make some sort of decision mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, I feel a lot of people um, uh, I've seen it a lot with people they chase a particular speciality, and they, that will take you to a certain point in your career. If you're a technical specialist that's great, you'll get steady work, as long as you keep refreshing your skills mm-hmm. so you're on top of the latest stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you'll get repeat work, you'll have an established tra- track record, and you can contract with that, you can do permanent. Um, and it will get you to a certain point. Um, and if that's what you want, that's great. Um, if you want to, I think if you want to go into the sort of more senior management or, or sort of uh, C-level roles, uh, you need to master a few different things. Um, you know uh, the CTO role invariably gets involved with business development. It invariably gets involved with not just the technology side of the business um, uh, you 're a senior manager in that in that organization, mm. so it covers a few more things, and I knew that I wanted that more, more, a bit more of that breadth mm. um, but selfishly I still wanted to have that the hands on yeah. thing so it's, it sort of worked out uh, the way I wanted to. And uh, there's no doubt that certainly a startup CTO, the first couple of years are very challenging because you're doing everything from setting up people you join as email. You know, day one, you, you when know, you get a seed funding stage and there's five of you in the company, mm. you might be the one person who's writing code, going on to investors, and also on the other hand, someone saying, I can't access my email at the moment, can you help me out? And it's kind of like you're doing everything from
0: that right uh, the junior IT
1: role right mm. up to the sort of strategy role. And that, that, that changes over time. Uh, but you have to just have that attitude that mm. I want to do it and that you know 4 years into it I can say that over the last 4 years I've probably worked harder than I've ever worked in my life um which uh, I've actually enjoyed it's not been a, it's never ever been an issue for me and I look back and I think we started with zero and now we have this great enterprise software stack mm. an SAS sort of offering um that is uh, I think world class and and mm. and certainly industry leading in in what we do
0: mm. So what are the biggest challenges you'd say that you face? You've just mentioned one there being that you know, you've got to be able to help someone with an email and then suddenly sort out the strategy for next year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, particularly my role, uh, ignoring the technical challenges, because there's going to yeah. be daily technical issues yeah. and challenges and decisions that need to be made. The t- I'd say the two key skills mm. are um, people skills, the softest side of skills, you need to develop those if you want to rise into management. You need to be able yeah. to talk to people, communicate, and influence. Mm-hmm. Those are not natural things for certain kinds of developers. Certainly, I'm naturally an introvert personality. I find it yeah. very hard if someone doesn't agree with me. I say, fine, you don't agree with me. I don't necessarily need to convince you. Yeah. But actually, you do need to I overcome that, that sort of a, a internal friction, especially for a lot of developers, they mm-hmm. have that. Um, so those sort of skills around communication and managing people are vitally important and the other one is just being really confident about prioritizing Mm. you will never have certainly in a startup role you will never have enough time to do or the resources to do everything you want to do Mm -hmm. and you're going to have successes and failures along the way but hopefully if you prioritize just about right you'll always have just enough for the stage at which you're at and that prioritization i think uh, I, well I know carries on into most kind of senior management roles so even if you're a CTO of a multinational company you know with several thousand people working for you um, you will still come up with we need to spend a hundred million on this but it's gonna cost us 120 million so you still need to <laughs> prioritize you know yeah, that, that, that that thing doesn't change but being confident about it and sticking to a strategy is key to it. it's not just yeah. about understanding the priorities it's about actually delivering it with a certain level of confidence.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what advice would you give to yourself, let's say ten years ago or even five years ago, the things that you wish you wish you, that you know yeah. now that you wish you knew
1: Well it's very interesting because um, I thought about this a lot actually, yeah. particularly because I knew I was coming here as well, but it, it's something that part of me really regrets not. Doing something entrepreneurial much sooner. Well, I I did. I started straight out of university. Actually, I, I told slightly uh, wrong history before. Straight out of university, I founded. In, this was in two thousand and two, two thousand and three. I founded a. Um, sorry, two thousand and four. I founded a, a, a internet service provider did in you. Greece okay. uh, with a, with a friend and. Um, um, but for personal reasons, I decided not to move back to Greece, and, it, it, and so I didn't pursue that. And then I got it. I got a job after graduating, and I thought, I'll do this for a couple of years, where I figure out what I want to do. And then what happened was, ten years rolled by, and I was just working nine to five jobs, corporate roles. Lots of them were lots of uh, fun, and lot, there was lots of interesting challenges there. Um, but so part of me goes, well, actually, you should have done what you're doing now earlier because of the amount of satisfaction you get out of it. You know. It, 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 it's night and day, the first half of my the first part of my career, and the second part is mm. is much more fulfilling so it, I would say the initial advice I'd give myself is maybe do it earlier, but on the flip side i 'm not sure if I would have been as i don 't think I would have been prepared for the role if mm. I'd done it earlier, so it's really hard to second guess mm. uh, those sorts of decisions um, What I would say to myself and one thing that I think I've done as a mistake of, uh, in, in the early part of my career is um Definitely, you you should work hard, and that and that's something I've, I've always done. That that always gets appreciated and rewarded. Um, but don't be afraid to walk away from projects or roles that, although they might be with a great company and uh, they might pay well, is not right for you. Is not what you want to do because you, you you end up working for a year or two years and something that's not that fulfilling. You will stand a bit still. You'll be a bit static mm. as a result. So as I've got more, ma- more mature and I've had more experience, I, I, I'm quite comfortable walking away from stuff that I don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think when you're junior, maybe you're just grabbing for any opportunity. Um, I, I actually fun. think the, youngest gen- the younger generation are much better at that than my generation was. Yeah. We were this bridge generation between the job for life people and the sort of changing careers. Yeah. The younger generation changed car- jobs and careers much more much more frequently and I think they are better at being demanding about what they want but they need to temper that a little bit with the paying your dues side of things you know I need you need to put in those junior hours get the experience because actually that's the main training you get in technology you know you come out of university you're not really useful to anyone you you can barely maybe you can write a few lines of code but it's not you're not a developer at that point even though that's what it says on your job title Um, it takes a few years of hard graft and yeah. and 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 uh working with a bunch of technologies and production code if you're write, you're sitting in a bubble writing code that you never push into production as a, uh, certainly for as a skill for a cto you're not really aware of the full life cycle so um you, you do don't underestimate those early years find a, mm. f- especially if you st- sort of in the early part of your career find a company that you think is going to be really challenging and really fun and mm. is really going to push you because that's the best training you'll ever have
0: mm. That's really good advice, thank you. Um, what's next on the horizon for you then?
1: Oh, it's an interesting one. So, uh, definitely more Ocone. Um We're, we're growing uh, quite quickly in the industries that we're working mm. in at the moment, and um, I'm looking to hopefully uh, enter a, a, even a faster scale-up process over the next uh, eight, 12 to 18 months. And that just involves um, growing the team, growing our capability, Being able to move faster, and I think the prioritisation side of things will come become even more acute then, because it'll be it'll be a very fast moving, and it's managing the growth versus the sort of uh, um, potential legacy issues that you find in your systems. You know, you you look at all the big financial institutions; they have big legacy problems with their code. and that's, in one sense, a negative, but it also means they've been a victim of their own success. They've grown very fast and mm. the systems haven't kept up. So the next phase of my role is really maturing the Ocone technology and the Ocone proposition. That's
0: really exciting, then. It is.
1: It's an it's, it's exciting and challenging uh, next phase. And, you know, re- getting the right people into work for us mm. is, is going to be vital. Um, mm. You know, we have, um, we've been lucky in that we've had some exceptional people work for us. Uh, and uh, we want to grow that team. and. Uh, the most important thing for me is finding those right people. It's, you know, there's, a, there's an issue with growing too fast, sometimes you, you really need to find people that fit in with your, with mm-hmm. your culture.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, the, the next phase is growing a coney, doing mm-hmm. what we're doing now times ten.
0: Yeah. Well, good luck with all of that. And I've got to say that was a brilliant, brilliant recording. Thank you for all the takeaways you've given to people, because I can imagine people listening or watching to this, they'll be writing things down like crazy, (laughs) going, right, I need to take that and I need to learn from it. So it's brilliant to listen to your story. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. um, And I'll be with you next week when you're on our panel.
1: Lovely. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here.
0: Thank you.